Um, so as a child, when I was growing up, uh, one of the first American cartoons I ever watched as a child was X-Men. Um, I absolutely adored that show and Wolverine with his crazy uh, adamantium claws, and he was without a doubt one of my favorite characters, maybe next to Cyclops, who can literally shoot lasers out of his eyes. Uh, but even growing on up into adulthood, I actually watched all the X-Men movies, and after every show or every movie, I would wish that the storyline in X-Men was true in real life. Uh, that inside some of us, we would have this innate, hidden, mutant power, uh, so to say. And as a kid, I would dream up of all sorts of random superpowers that uh, my six-year-old mind could conjure. Um, I actually have a notebook with, with all these uh, crazy ideas. And so my six-year-old self would conjure up the idea of me being glue man. What a, what, a, what, a, what an exciting superhero, a glue man who would glue bad guys um, onto the walls so they couldn't commit crime. Uh, another one of my other favorite creations was Electricity Man, uh, because my grandma would always scold me for accidentally leaving the TV on um, and wasting electricity. And the reason why I thought the idea of people having this hidden, innate power uh, was such an interesting concept, was not only does it mean I can shoot glue out of my hands, uh, but it also meant that I was different than everyone else. That in some way, shape, or form, I had this hidden power that I could use to save the world. And that's why I think all these new superhero movies with Spider-Man that, that just came out, um, the reason why I find them so captivating is because Besides just the action, besides just the drama, it makes us really wonder what life would be like if we did have superpowers. And so as we start the new year and our new sermon series titled The New Kingdom, uh, we come to a point in scripture where Jesus has just resurrected from the grave. We have, well, a few weeks ago, we just celebrated his birth. We're going to jump the gun a little bit and go right to his resurrection, but he just resurrected from the grave and he appears to his disciples. As Christ comes to his disciples, he gives them a new promise and one of his final promises to them, a promise that the disciples would inherit, would inherit a hidden gift that would live inside of them, a hidden power, uh, so to speak. Uh, so let us read together Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 3 to 11. And the word of God says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time not going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid them, hid from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so as the passage starts, we see that Jesus is coming to the disciples and doing what he has actually always been doing um, during his earthly ministries. Uh, Throughout the gospel, Jesus' primary teaching to the people, surprisingly, it actually wasn't about repentance of sins. That actually was not Jesus' primary focus and primary teaching. Uh, Repentance of sin was secondary in Jesus' teaching. The primary thing that Jesus taught about was the kingdom of God. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus actually makes this point very clear when he goes to the crowd preaching this. He says to them, repent. And why repent? Because the kingdom of God is near. And so let's take a look at this as our first sermon point today. What is the kingdom of God? So what is the kingdom of God? Put simply, the kingdom of God is God's reign and rule throughout the world. Uh, Now, this might seem pretty obvious, but there are actually some very powerful implications uh, for this. You see, since the dawn of humanity, we have all resisted God's reign, and we have all resisted his rule. And the one thing that is extremely surprising in Scripture is that God lets it happen, despite the fact that God is literally the king and the lord of the entire universe, God allows disobedience as an option. Why? That's, that's another sermon. <laughs> but for thousands upon thousands of years, the only kingdom people knew was the kingdom of humankind, the kingdom of darkness an imperfect kingdom that was marred by corruption, marred by greed, war, lust for power, and oppression. And so when Jesus comes into the world preaching about the kingdom of God, it shows us something radically new. You see, for ages, God's kingship has been resisted, even in his own holy nation of Israel. But now with the coming of Christ he pronounces something's different, that the king is back, that God is going to reclaim his throne and bring a new kingdom, which is not the culmination of human efforts that's always ruined by evil and sin, but rather this new kingdom is ruled by God's royal grace coming into creation and pronouncing that goodness and holiness, they are the new laws of the land. And one of my favorite stories growing up is actually learning about my family history. And the last name Tong, which is my last name, is actually a very, very old name uh, with a long lineage and great significance. Um, Why am I talking about this? You'll see soon. But the first recorded person uh, with the last name of Tong was actually a person uh, named Sing Pong. 
uh, who started the Shang Dynasty back in 17th century BC. So this is, this, is, this is really old. Now this individual was described as an incredibly virtuous man, and when he heard of the corruption in the neighboring kingdom of Shah, uh, where the people were oppressed to the point where they would cry out, oh, if only the sun in the heaven would die and we die along with it. That's, that's how bad things got back then. And the thing is, after hearing of such oppression, uh, of such oppression Sing Pong, my ancestor, he made it his own personal mission to free the people from oppression. And in one of the oldest recorded books in Chinese history, uh, one historian recorded the words of an earl who lived in the Sha Kingdom, who said of my ancestor, when Tong went on in the east, the wild tribes of the west murmured. And when he went on in the south, those of the north murmured. They said, why does he make us alone the last? For to whatever people he went to, they rejoiced with one another in their families, saying, we have awaited our prince and now our prince has come, and we are revived. And the same is with the kingdom of God. When it comes face to face with the kingdom of darkness, uh, Jeremy Treat, a professor of theology at Biola, he said this about the kingdom of God. He says that as the kingdom of God comes into this world, we are saved from death and for life. We are saved from shame and for glory. We are saved from slavery and for freedom. We are saved from sin and for following our Savior. We are saved from the kingdom of darkness and for the kingdom of light. And he follows by saying that to be saved into God's kingdom is to embrace God's comprehensive rule over every aspect of life. This is a far cry from merely asking Jesus into my heart, as he says. It means a new life, a new identity, and a new kingdom. This is a pretty radical message uh, for the Jews living in this time. But the question that the disciples must have asked themselves when hearing about this news of the new kingdom must have been, well, Jesus. How do we know when this new kingdom will arrive? Who's the king? Are you the king? And to answer this question, Jesus gives them these you know, pretty peculiar instructions. He says to them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus gives these new instructions, he introduces to us how the start of this new era, this new kingdom of God's kingdom, of how it will begin. And it's also our second sermon point today, the gift of the Holy Spirit. In our passage today, we learn two things about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the first thing we learn is that the Holy Spirit is related to baptism. It's pretty not surprising for most of us, right? And in the Jewish tradition, Baptism was always associated with the idea of being ritually clean, of being clean before the eyes of God. Uh, for example, in the law of Moses, uh, those who came into contact with a corpse had to be ritually clean by having water mixed with ashes uh, sprinkled on them. 
And this sprinkling was seen as a sort of washing or a cleansing away of this ritual uncleanness or of sin. But the thing about this sort of sprinkling is that it had to be done over and over again. And possibly, in the case of John the Baptist, it's, it's pretty likely that he would have to baptize them over and over again, every time they were physically or spiritually unclean. And so as Jesus inaugurates the new kingdom, he sends to the disciples a lasting baptism. Just as Jesus' death was a once and for all act for the penalty of our sins, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a once and for all purification. You see, Christ's blood paid for our sins, but it is the Holy Spirit that makes us clean and makes us holy. And the thing is, everyone here today who is a Christian, who is baptized, they are baptized with this Holy Spirit. And because we are baptized by the Spirit, we are clean and we are holy. And for the disciples, this was revolutionary. Because in the Old Testament laws, holiness and cleanliness, it was something that could be lost. You would have to try your absolute hardest to maintain this holy and clean status before the community of Israel and before God. But the baptism of the Spirit that Jesus talks about here shows us that holiness and cleanliness is not something that can be lost. It cannot be taken away from you either. Being holy is fundamentally who we are, and it becomes our identity. We are holy. In this moment, you are holy. You are clean. And sin is powerless against you because it does not have the power to stain you ever again. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, makes us clean eternally. Like spring water that stays the same temperature, whether it's the summer or the winter, uh, so is the baptism of the Spirit. The Spirit is a spring that never runs dry and refreshes our souls daily. But holiness is not actually the only thing we receive uh, from the Spirit. Along with holiness, we also receive hidden power, mutant power maybe, uh, from God. And in verse 8 of our passage today, uh, Christ tells his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this passage, at least for me, is, is very surprising because often, for me at least, uh, the Holy Spirit, I've always heard the Holy Spirit being associated with salvation, but rarely do I ever hear people talk about the Holy Spirit as power. And I don't know how I could have missed this, uh, because throughout all the Old Testament, the Spirit would fill all sorts of individuals and give them capabilities to do all kinds of things. Uh, the Spirit were with the judges as they defended the Israelite territory. The Spirit was with David and allowed David to be a successful king. Uh, the Spirit was with the prophets, filling them with God's word and also the boldness to speak God's word. But the thing was, during that time, there weren't a lot of people were filled by the Holy Spirit. Like the mutants and X-Men, only a select few individuals out of the masses had the extraordinary privilege of being filled by God's Spirit and given God's power. But with the start of the new kingdom, 
things are beginning to change. The poor, the middle class, the rich, all have this extraordinary privilege of being filled with the Spirit. Those who are sinners and those who are righteous now share in the ability of being imbued with God's power. The same power that allowed Samuel, the last judge and one of the first prophets of Israel, to speak God's word. The same power that allowed Elisha to resurrect a dead boy. The same power that allowed Christ to heal the sick, resurrect the dead, and cast out demons. The same spirit now lives in the disciples, and it now lives in us as well. We, Christians, share in that same power. And as we are given this power from God through the Spirit, we are also given a purpose as well. Um, as Aunt May said in Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. We who are given such power from God we too now have a responsibility. We have a mission. And finishing the rest of verse 8 that we just read earlier, Jesus tells this to his disciples. He says, After you receive such power, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this brings us to our final sermon point today, the mission. But before we discuss the mission, the disciples actually ask Jesus a, a pretty peculiar question. Um, after spending so much time with Jesus, hearing about the kingdom of God, hearing about the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And from this question, we can see the disciples are quite distracted. Uh, they were distracted by the geopolitical conflicts between Rome and Jerusalem. They were distracted by their own bias for their own people. Uh, they were too distracted with the question of when this is going to happen, and they forgot to ask the question of what. What are we supposed to do now with this power? And the way Jesus answers their question is in itself a class act. Uh, Jesus doesn't dismiss their question or rebuke them. Rather, he refocuses their passion and refocuses their mission and actually expands their vision as well. In that one short sentence we read earlier, the mission. Jesus gives the disciples a mission that will radically change their lives and the world on a fundamental level. After giving the disciples the power necessary to be witnesses of all people, Jesus now sends them off to fulfill that mission. And this mission is not only for the disciples of Jesus or for the early church. Each one of us sitting here on Zoom uh, in your chairs today all of us have that mission of being witnesses of Jesus to all of those who are around us. Being a Christian is more than just being saved. It's more than just getting a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's more than fire insurance. Being a Christian is about revealing God's kingdom of peace and salvation to all people through the power of the Holy Spirit. Being a Christian is about being a light on a hill and a light in a dark place. Being a Christian is about entering into the kingdom of darkness and establishing the light of the gospel as God's new kingdom. It's not just a select mission for a select few, but it is the mission of the entire church and all the people who make up that church. 
And for many of us, this, this sounds awfully terrifying. Do you mean to tell me, Pastor Brandon, that I must talk to other people? Well, do not worry. Um, I know exactly how you feel, as I am an introvert myself. And for those who are scared that I'm asking them to start preaching in train cars or on the street corner, uh, rest assured, I'm not asking you to do that either. But I want to raise up two points to alleviate this concern of evangelism, of this mission. The first is that you are not on this mission alone. Uh, not only are your brothers and sisters in Christ striving along with you, but the same spirit that turned Moses, who had trouble speaking, become the de facto leader of the Israelites, that same spirit lives in you. It's the same spirit that allowed uneducated fishermen to spark the first spiritual revival in Jerusalem. The same spirit lives in you, and that same spirit will give you the strength and the power to fulfill God's commission. The spirit works tirelessly alongside with you as you bring the kingdom of God here on earth. The second point is something a little more practical. Uh, the formula for effective evangelism can be as simple as this. Coffee to dinner to gospel. Uh, or maybe for other men who, who, are, who are joining us here in the crowd today, uh, beer, pizza, and gospel. Um, in the book, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy, Sam Chen presents this formula as one of his evangelism tips. And if you think about why you might experience anxiousness when asked to preach the gospel, it's most likely because we feel evangelism means jumping straight into someone's values and worldviews. And that is pretty scary if you were to ask me to do it to a complete stranger. So the thing is, how do we do this in a smooth fashion? Well, let's start with coffee. When meeting with a friend, um, it's easy to start off with a coffee where you discuss interests such as last night's basketball game, uh, the new episode of your mutual favorite dramas, um, how blue the sky looks today, uh, or the New Year's celebration that you just had. Uh, this is the layer of safe conversation where we begin to learn more about someone. Uh, but let's suppose that you already know this person for a while and you're friends for a while. If this is the case, we can move on to the dinner or the layer of values. And then the layer of values, we start to move deeper. Uh, this is the layer where a meaningful conversation can be made, but it's also where meaningful disagreements might occur as well. Uh, this is the layer of where we talk about how things ought to be. Uh, this is where we talk about politics, ethics, our general views of life and on goodness, how this should be, how that should be. And because this is a layer where meaningful disagreements might occur, we might shy away from it. But if we show to our friends that we are genuinely listening to them and that we're giving them safe space to be vulnerable, we show them that we care about what they value in life. And if we listen well to them and ask thoughtful questions, we can earn their trust and we can finally move to the gospel or to the worldview layer. And the worldview layer is the core of a person's being. This is the layer where we ask questions like, why do I exist? What's wrong with the world? Is there a God? Is there life after death? What is good? What is evil? And like the values layer, all we have to do 
as Christians, this is simply it. All we have to do is listen empathetically to our friends sharing about their beliefs. You see, people will only listen to us if they trust us first. And the only way that they can trust us is if we show them that we have listened and we have listened well. And the thing is, if we have done that, then they might just ask you the million-dollar question after you've been listening to them talk for four hours. They might just ask you, well, enough about me. How about you? What do you believe? And as they give you the permission to speak and share about this new kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit will speak with you and empower you and work inside your friend's heart to receive the gospel. And so as I end today's sermon, I want to offer a small challenge to everyone. God's kingdom is entering into this world, and we are called to be his witnesses. And so I'd like you to think for a moment, who is one person you would like to get to know better? Who is one person God might be moving your heart to one day share the gospel with? And as you think of that question, you're more than welcome to talk to me about evangelism or talk to any of our leaders about evangelism. But I just want to let you know that you are not alone in evangelism. You have your brothers and sisters here in Christ. Evangelism is a church effort as well. And the Spirit is alongside with you in all of this. But let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that your kingdom has come on earth as it did in heaven. Although we do not know when it will fully come, we know that you have placed upon us a mission, a mission to bring the good news to all corners of the world, to bring light into dark places, to save the lost, to heal the sick, to love the outcasts. But we acknowledge before you that this work is not easy. But we know that your spirit is in us, and that your spirit gives us the power to proclaim your message with boldness and with courage. And so help us, Lord, this week and the weeks to come to continue to be faithful to this call. Strengthen our hearts and prepare the hearts of those whom we will reach out to this week. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen.